Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. It's made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we're joined by a two-time NBL champion. Andrew Parkinson enjoyed a 10-year career in Australia's Premier Domestic Basketball League, playing 265 games for three clubs between 1988 and 98 and earning a reputation as a lethal shooter from three-point range. But the man known as Parky remains in the thick of his greatest challenge, the fight against a highly malignant and fast-growing bladder cancer. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on, and thanks a lot for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Sam. Now, what's that hanging behind you there? This isn't great radio, but there's a big uh, poster (laughs) over your left shoulder. Now, is that you in all your glory back there? Yeah, that's me shooting a jump shot against the Giants. I used to play a lot against them because uh, Brett Brown had them in that zone and um, and D-Mac would be at the head of it. And uh, He's trailing yeah, in your wake there, D-Mac. Yeah, yeah, I've just blown by him, actually. <laughs> no, actually, the truth the truth <laughs> is, Sam, that um, Brian Gorgian, the, the, the GOAT, the, the great coach, he uh, he used to tell me, what, Parky, what are you doing dribbling anywhere near D-Mac? He's like, don't, he said, if D-Mac's, he said, I'd rather you just shoot it. He goes, I don't care where you, where you are, shoot it. So I, I do have a saying that a missed shot's better than a turnover. And I do reference that story with, with, with Brian. So yeah, that's, that's a little, uh, so yeah, I tell people I've, I'm blown by D-Mac, but the truth is I just caught it and I just crap my pants and just sort of pull up and shoot it because that's what the coach would rather me do than, uh, than dribble. Can I ask with probably a question that a lot of people, you're probably sick to death of this question I ask you when they see you now, is it, uh, how are you going? How are you feeling? Uh, how are you going health-wise at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, six months of um, immunotherapy treatment. I've, I've had a battle with, uh, uh, with cancer for nearly three years now. So, yeah, at the age of 52, I, I uh, yeah, got the, got the bad news. And, uh, yeah, so I've done all sorts of treatment. I've done the chemo, the radiation um, I've done this BCG treatment. I've had surgeries. I've had uh, organs removed from from my body, and now I'm in six months of immuno. So, it has been a bit of a battle. But the support I've had from not only the basketball community but the general sporting community um, as well, and just you know all my mates, all my old mates, my my old coach Brian, uh, you know all my all my buddies that I played with in the nineties. So, I've got a lot of support around me with friends and family. So it's um. In in some ways, it's 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 been a, a great experience. I know it sounds silly, um, but it's been a great experience because a lot of people have sort of reached out to me, and 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 a lot of people tell you things, you know, about uh, you know about yourself and and how they feel about you um, when you do get diagnosed with a terminal illness, and um, you know that that's a positive because normally you might not find out those things. So you know, I've had a great time. I, I mean, I, you know, I tell my mates I love them. My mates tell me that they love me and I we weren't really uh there, there weren't conversations or words that we generally speak um you know when everything's flying along and your health's great but when something like this happens it's sort of yeah you find out who the people that means mean a lot to you and you find out um the people that you mean a lot too so uh yeah so it's been a bit of a journey but it's um it's, it's look it's been a battle I'm not gonna lie um yeah, there's been some some crazy times uh, during that uh, during that three year battle. But uh, yeah, when the oncologist told me about a year ago that he didn't think he'd be looking at me, um, this was last year uh, with the rare cancer I had. I, I, I sort of have to count my blessings. I, I feel like I'm on bonus time, and um, yeah, you just uh, yeah you just got to deal with it. And uh, like I said, I've had great support, so I, I can't complain too much. So to use basketball parlance, it sounds like we're into overtime in many ways. And and you were diagnosed in 2019, if I got that right. So if you can lay it out for us, what specifically are, are you fighting? What sort of cancer are we talking about, if you don't mind? Well, it, initially it was uh, called small cell carcinoma cancer of the bladder. And there was a big tumour in there that was embedded in the wall of uh, of my, um, my bladder. And uh, so I had to do quite aggressive 
you know chemo and uh, and stuff like that but it it wasn't a good uh, it's a very rare cancer it's it's something like one to nine in a million and it's and it's not a very good one it's not your garden for i mean there's no good <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no good cancer but if you're going to get cancer you don't want to get the one you know i've got but uh, but you know i've changed a lot in my life with uh, supplements and with um you know different medications and things i'm doing so you know in some ways um you know i'm back to my i'm trying to keep healthy and fit i mean that's one thing they say that that helps you know in my situation um so i've you know i'm at my playing weight and i'm feeling you know i'm feeling uh, as as healthy as i can be so if you am i right in saying you've actually seen it off once or twice and it's returned can you take us through the journey Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right, Sam. No, it has. It's um, yeah, there's been great results. There's been times when they've said, great, you can chill with, we've, we've, we've yeah. done well, you know, the chemo worked or the radiation worked, but it, yeah, it just keeps coming back. And uh, they even, they removed my bladder and prostate uh, a year ago because uh, it kept coming back. And uh, uh, I thought that was going to be the, um, not the end of it, but uh, the end of it for a while. But then a few months later, it had uh, it come back into a lymph node sort of near the pelvis, near the bladder area. So, yeah, it's just a, not a good cancer to have. And it, it um, yeah, we have we have sort of uh, had some times where it's, um, uh, yeah, I've sort of seen it off. But, um, yeah, but like I said, I'm back sort of doing treatment now and I'm six months into this treatment. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's dragging on a bit. But, um, but yeah, you've... Um, yeah, you've got to do what you've got to do. I saw a letter that you wrote to cancer. I think it was June last year. And you, and you wrote in part, you have taken away many things from me, including some organs, money, time playing basketball and time with my family and my friends. But you will never take away my spirit or my dignity. You may see me struggle, but you will never see me quit. And it, and it does, Parky, never ceases to amaze me, the people who fight the fights that you're fighting at the moment and the courage that you find in these moments. Yeah. And, and you have no choice. And I truly try and live by that, um, you know, every day. doesn't mean, you know, like I said, it's it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have down days. But, but yeah, as long as you don't quit. And I think, um, you know, I've had inspiration from many people, um, many people far worse, far worse off than me, far bigger tragedies than me. I mean, I, I've had a I've had a blessed life, Sam, um, right up until the age of 52. There was no tragedy. There was nothing in my life uh, that I could complain about. I've truly had a blessed life. So uh, now that I'm dealing with this beast, um, there's so many people. Every family has been touched by this in some way, or cancer I'm talking about, uh, has been touched in some way. So that that was a bit of a cathartic sort of thing for me just to write – I know you probably can't repeat uh, the last three words of that letter on air, um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it's. I think that's that's sort of my my attitude is um, yeah. Is it yeah? You might see me struggle, but you, you'll never see me quit. And I think um, you know the people like I mentioned the support that I get, um, and I and I think that you know it's important for people that support me to hear that as well. You know, my children. My wife, my mother and father, you know, my brother and sister, you know, all my mates. I think it's good for them to hear that as well because they know I struggle, but uh, they know I'm never going to quit. And and the power of the mind sort of stuff. I, I saw you also wrote, you know, that you'll never feel sorry for yourself. And you actually said in some strange way that you feel like you were meant to battle cancer and that you wrote that it's my turn and that you're ready. Um, I will get rid of you. What what did you mean by that? It's a sense of destiny in that sentence. Yeah, no, well, I just, I, I, I just feel, um, I, I felt like during my basketball career and during my life in general, I, I feel like I'm, I'm fairly mentally strong. So I, I guess, um, you know, when you get something like this, hmm. uh, my immediate thought was, well, geez, I'm glad it's not the kids. I'm glad it's not my wife. I'm glad it's not my sister. You know, I'm glad it's not. So you think of all yeah. these people that could have got it in the family. Um, and I think, well, you know, if it's me, okay, this is my thing now. I, I have to deal with this. And as I said, I've had a blessed life. I haven't had to deal with any tragedy or, or, or too much adversity. So uh, this was this is my adversity. This is my turn to step up. Uh, and as I said, there's there's so many people a lot younger than me that uh, you know have been ravaged by this disease and and families and and all sorts of things. So you know, I, I feel like um, yeah, I just I just feel like you know it, maybe it picked on me, maybe a higher being above uh, gave it to me, knowing that uh, that I can handle it. So that that's that's the sort of mindset that I'm 
I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how steep, you know, the learning curve on all this stuff would be, how confronting some of your darkest moments would be. And you mentioned others. I imagine seeing others go through it is the hardest in some ways. Like, I mean, you're you're obviously going in for treatment, parking. You're seeing people, you know, 40 years younger than you sitting there holding their mum and dad's hand. I, I just cannot even imagine how hard that must be, mate. Yeah, no, the oncology ward's not a great place to go. Look, don't get me wrong, the nurses in there are just like angels. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there was one. Yeah, there was one day. I'll, I'll tell you this this story. I'll I'll, I'll probably get emotional because I always do when I tell this story. But uh, yeah, there was a, a day I was going doing chemo. You know, I'd lost my hair, I'd lost my eyebrows. Uh, I didn't mind losing my hair, Sam. I was quite a <laughs> good-looking bald man, if I say that myself. Nice. But, uh, but losing the eyebrows, you look a bit freaky, mate. So bald, I was happy with, but losing the eyebrows as well. But anyway, I was walking into the oncology ward um, and I was feeling, I was having one of those days where I was feeling sorry for myself. And I walked in there and I got eye contact with these two parents and they had uh, this young girl sitting in the chair getting the poison. I call it poison, but chemo, same thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and I, I locked eyes with the father and just the look, uh, the look on his face, the, the despair, um, you know, he, he, you could tell just, just, just looking at him, you could tell that, you know, he would have swapped, he would have swapped with his daughter, um, you know, at the drop of a hat. So, so that gave me a bit of, uh, encouragement and that's why I sort of feel like, um, yeah, I feel like, okay, I've got this, it's not my kid in the chair, you know, it's not, mm. it's, it's not someone I love or cherish that's in that chair. And, um, and yeah, that was just a moment that, that sort of, uh, it, it helped me. It, it, gave, it gave me strength because I felt like my situation's not that bad. You know, this, this poor girl, she had, because uh, uh, I can give you these cooling hats uh, that can sometimes stave off losing your hair. And of course, you know, a guy at 52, as ugly and as old as I am, I, I'm not going to care about losing my hair, you know, being bald. I, I did worry about the eyebrows as you can imagine as you can tell good for Halloween but, uh, but yeah but this poor girl you know it was 15 16 year old I had a daughter the exact same age um and uh and she had this cooling hat on she wanted to save her hair because you know I know how important you know a teenage girl's hair is <laughs> they uh the way my daughters are with getting their hair right so yeah and I just looked at her I, I just thought um yeah, things can be a hell of a lot worse. And, and just looking in that, in the, in, in her father's eyes, you know, the, the despair. Yeah. I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Right, let's go back a little bit, shall we? From the suburban concrete courts to the bright lights of the NBL, let's go over Andrew Parkinson's path to the big league. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we're chatting to dual NBL title winner, Andrew Parkinson. So, Andrew, at what stage did you start playing basketball? And, and who introduced, was it your parents who introduced you to the sport initially? Yes, both my parents were keen basketballers. So that's how they met. Uh, both were represented the state um, numerous times. And my father was actually... Uh, a reserve in the 1964 uh, Tokyo Olympic team. So, um, so yeah, I was introduced to basketball early. And as we all do, we, we want to be like our dad. So I just wanted to be like my dad. And I used to watch him play. And uh, so at the age of seven, the, uh, you know, they took me down to the Dandenong courts, which uh, were concrete at the old market stadium there. And um, at the age of seven, uh, 1974, I uh, played my first game of basketball. Concrete court. Can't be good for the, the old flagrant foul, can it? No, not 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 good at all, mate. But uh, yeah, it wasn't too long till they uh, yeah got the uh, got the hardwood out there. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that shows you how old I am. I was 
was actually playing on uh, concrete courts. And w- I wouldn't, w- I wouldn't have that nowadays. No, no, absolutely not. And, and was basketball considered, you know, almost uncool back then? I mean, this is the this is the seventies, the pre Michael Jordan era, if you like, that really sparked the rise of the sport in this country for people of my generation. I mean, what was it like playing basketball at that time? Did people think it was relatively unusual amongst all the cricket and the footy and everything else, the tennis that was going on? They sure did, Sam. Yeah, no, it wasn't cool at all. I, I was the guy that, uh, yeah, I played the cricket and footy with my mates and tennis and, you know, we invented games in the street and all sorts of stuff. But um, but no, basketball, I just I just loved it so much. But I, I, I just constantly just dribble around to the local schools and just shoot by myself. You know, a lot of the, my mates weren't interested in it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the 70s, when, when you mentioned basketball, they'd say, oh, netball, you mean netball, like, I actually thought it was netball and wow. it's just so great to see now you can't drive through any suburb in Melbourne or Australia and not see a basketball hoop up. Um, and it's, it's a cool sport now, <laughs> you know, it's uh, everyone just loves it. So I've, I've seen the full, uh, the full journey. And I mean, at the age of 12, I used to go and watch the St Kilda Saints play in the NBL, which I, I got to play for 12 years later, but yeah. So I remember the NBL from day one and I, I was an avid NBL fan and I, yeah, I just love the game. And, and, and a lot of people um, have analysed my upbringing with basketball and, and my environment I was in. And everyone says, oh, how come you're such a good shooter and you play no defence? And I said, well, that's because I used to just shoot by myself the whole time. I never, <laughs> I never had any mates to play one-on-one. So I never played any defence. Well, we're products of our environment, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. No, well, that, that, that's exactly true. And, and, and I used to just invent ways to put it in the basket. And I used to shoot from distance. I used to shoot from behind the backboard. I used to shoot free throws. I used to be in the rain, pouring rain and wind. And until I shot five free throws in a row, I wouldn't leave. And it'd be dark. And so I'd play the, all these games with myself. But it was all shooting games. There was no, I wasn't playing deep. I wasn't getting in a stance. I wasn't learning how to guard people and, and I was just shooting. So uh, yeah, we definitely products of our environment. Yeah. And you don't get those great photos that sit over your left shoulder by playing defense either. So was, exactly. w- w- wasn't the nickname <laughs> Andrew Parkinson for a while, given you had no D? That was the story. <laughs> yes. Well, we used to call the, the, the real, the big Andrew. Okay, uh, the guy is Gazy. We used to call him Andrew because he didn't play any defense. But uh, no, that that I seem to pick that up a bit as well. A few of my uh, magic teammates used to, uh, yeah, used to give me that name. So that was uh, always a bit of fun. What did it look like as you stepped up through the grade? So from you know from from getting out to to Market Stadium and you progressed and you improved and you caught the eye of people. What did it look like for you going forward into your teenage years? Yeah, it was good. I actually played for the Melbourne Tigers. Um, in representative basketball, underage basketball, under 14. So I was coached by the great Ken Watson. Uh, so that was a little secret I sort of kept through my professional career because the Tigers were our nemesis and our big rival in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but I actually did play some junior basketball. But uh, by the time I got to under 16s and under 18s, I played out at uh, the Knox Raiders. And um, I was having quite a successful uh, SE, well, it was SEABL career back then, but it was NBL one for the yep. for the current listeners. You know, the next step down from the NBL. But I, I wasn't cracking the NBL, but I was putting up good numbers in the SEABL, uh, the NBL one, and um, just wasn't getting a look in. And I, I had a bit of a, a reputation as a, as a party boy as well. So um, because Just, I wasn't justifi- that- justified was it? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. No, well, if we talk about when I went to college, I, yeah. I could tell you the reasons why I chose that particular college, and that'll, that'll tell you where my, <laughs> we'll get to that. Where my, where, where my focuses were. Um, but in saying that, I, I did want to play NBL. I'd been following it uh, since I was you know, 12 years old, and uh, I wanted to crack it. And um, so I thought I'd go overseas. So I got a basketball scholarship uh, in 1988 to Slippery Rock University, and, and that was um, – yeah, that was a great experience for me to go over, um, you know, and play one year of college basketball. It was, it was the same time Andrew Gaze uh, was playing at Seton Hall, but uh, I think his, uh, yeah, I think his uh, trip over there got a bit more publicity than me playing uh, <laughs> at Slippery Rocket. It was a Division Two school, Sam, and uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yep, I looked it up. I yep. looked it up actually. So, but but from what I read, quite a professional setup. But let's not let the truth get in the way because while Gazy went to Seton Hall, the Pirates, and you know went to the NCAA championship game, you Parky, you went to the big party school that was Slippery Rock, and I, and I, I imagine that uh, you acknowledge now that was a decent lure at the time. It was great. Look, they told me that the ratio of guys to girls was four to one. 
they told me it was a jock school, like as far as, yep. you know, yep. didn't have to worry too much about study. Uh, and also <laughs> in 1988, you can check it if you like, it was ranked number four in Playboy as the biggest party school in the nation, <laughs> of, of, including all the Division One schools like Arizona State and Santa Barbara and yep. Santa Clara, all those beach-style sort of universities in California. Uh, but Slippery Rock was up there at number four. So uh, when I had a few choices, you know, to go to, there was Vancouver University in Canada. There was a couple of NAIA schools. It was, and Slippery Rock, when I found out that it was ranked number four in Playboy as, as a party school, I thought um, that's got me you know, written all over it. So uh, that's, as a 19, 20 year old, you can tell where my focus was. Well, how was it though? I mean, do you look back on those moments as just, uh, just some of the times of your life? Oh, it was. And you speak to any American, um, and they say that the four years they had in college was the greatest time of their life. And, and I got to experience one year of it. Um, and yeah, no, it was, it, it was a great time. Um, and also being Australian and being on the basketball team as well uh, was great because, um, you know, even in 1988, uh, basketball wasn't quite, you know, as popular. It was getting a bit more cooler. But of course, in the States, if you're on the basketball team and you're on a scholarship, um, you know, for the basketball team, then yeah, you're, you're pretty big time as far as uh, um, around the, you know, around uh, on campus and stuff. And uh, it, it was a great experience for my basketball as well, because the competitive nature of college basketball and, and the way the coaches just, just drill you uh, into the ground. Uh, yeah. it, it, it was a great experience. It, it actually prepared me for being coached by Brian Gorge. And I, I don't think I would have walked into Brian Gorge's practices, um, you know, in 1992, uh, I don't think I would have coped without that experience I had in college because he he was very uh, similar sort of coach uh, the way he coached professionally. You, I mean, the world was a lot bigger back then. I mean, it's pre you know internet, it's pre everything. So I mean, you would have been a fascination, you would have been a curiosity as an Australian. This guy from a a, a a land that not many people would have known about in America in the late eighties. So what was it? What we you would have just been a, a celebrity on campus. Yeah, well, it was right when Crocodile Dundee was popular. Oh, perfect. So, that's so, not uh, enough. Yeah, this is enough. yeah, so I was called Crocodile Parky. Yeah. That's what they used to <laughs> So, and I played up to it a bit. I had my Kubra hat that I'd sometimes wear a bit around the place. So, I had a bit of fun with that. But uh, yeah, no, they didn't know anything about Australia. Some people asked, how did I get here? Yeah, you know, yeah. did I get here by train? you know by bus um you know they asked me if i used to ride kangaroos to school and things like that so there wasn't a lot of knowledge uh, about australia and um and you left to your devices i mean nowadays kids go to college and you know you got face you can facetime mum and dad and you know keep in touch with them uh, you know just with a phone but uh, you know every couple of months or so the coach would say oh do you want to give your parents a call let them know you're alive and uh, i'd be like sure mate so i'd get on his office phone and give them a call up. I think I wrote a couple of postcards, a couple of letters, but uh, yeah, it was very different uh, experience going to college back in those days, but, but it was, it was good. You know, it was out of my comfort zone. Uh, It was a very competitive environment. And um, yeah, I think it prepared me for the NBL years. You with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So Andrew Parkinson returns from the States and he gets his NBL break. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former NBL sharpshooter Andrew Parkinson. So, Andrew, I think you're 21 at this stage. And what that stint over in the U.S. got you in the college system there was to finally get your foot in the door to the NBL, you know, the itch that you hadn't been able to scratch. So Barry Barnes got you to the Geelong Supercats for the start of the 89 season, a two-year deal. How did it come about? How did you find your way down the highway in Geelong? Well, as I said, I had a bit of a reputation as a party sort of guy a bit of a good time fella and uh barnsey came up with the idea that he figured if i'd lasted a year in college i must have smartened up so he thought uh yeah i think he's ready to uh, come back from college and uh, i'll give him a two-year deal at geelong, mm. a two-year deal at the geelong supercats as he was taking over the team that uh, previously in 1988 had gone 
0-24, I believe. <laughs> so he just recruited Shane Heal. Um, he'd got Darren Rowe, um, uh, yeah, a few other uh, Aussie, Jim Bateman, mm. who was sort of at the end of his career. Uh, John Dorge was part of that uh, Geelong team as well in 89 and 90. Uh, so, yeah, so I was part of that, uh, the Supercats in 89 and 90. So, given it so long ago, I hope you don't mind me asking this question. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. But what was it worth? What the package for you to join the club? What did they What did they dangle in front of you? Yeah, I think uh, I think I was on seven and a half thousand. Right. <laughs> First year NBL. I, I think the uh, I think there's the minimums a bit higher than that now. Uh, they gave me a car, an old Camira. A Camira. Uh, a Camira, I think that was probably worth three or four thousand. Mm. So um, yeah, I thought I was pretty good coming from college, getting a sort of a, a five-figure package as far as a, a, a beat-up Camira and seven and a half thousand uh, dollars. They did give me a job as well that first year. I worked. I was a trained accountant, so uh, I worked at Day Nielsen, Jenkins and Johns, which was a chartered accounting firm in Geelong for that first year. Um, so yeah, I definitely um, I jumped at the chance to you know move down to Geelong and, and play NBL, which I'd been dreaming of doing sort of you know as long as I could remember. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh, that was my first first year. I think the next year might have yeah it might have gone up to ten thousand plus the car. Right. So geez, I, I really had a yeah it was a uh, big big money. Love the Camira though. That's that's priceless. Hey, uh, <laughs> the so red, that, red Camira, yeah, the red Camira. Red too, Wouldn't miss it. Uh, so that first year, your Supercats were thirteenth. I think in your second season they were tenth. And I, I think you're averaging around ten minutes a game. But there was a breakout game there, wasn't there? In fact, I think you broke the then Supercats record one night. It was five threes in the first quarter. Maybe twenty one points you dropped in the first period alone. And I'm not sure if this is coincidence or not. But Barry wasn't coaching that night, was he? No, he wasn't. He was away with the national team. And Tex Keeley, Terry Keeley, um, I was training quite well. Uh, yeah, I was training quite well. So he, I think he started me because Vince Hinchin was injured or, or something like that. So, yeah, yeah he started me. And, um, yeah, I had that big quarter and I, I was wrapped because my mum and dad used to come down the highway and watch. And uh, game after game after game, they'd just be sitting there. I'd be sitting there on the bench just looking at them thinking, why, why are they travelling all this way to see me sit on a bench? So... Fair to say, there was a few fist pumps uh, directed in the direction of my uh, loving parents uh, yeah, during that twenty-one point uh, onslaught in the first quarter. So that was, um, yeah, that was uh, that was probably my high, uh, my highlight uh, playing for the SuperCats. So I guess ultimately, after the two years, you'd fall out of favour with Barry, though, wouldn't you? I mean, I, you didn't have your contract renewed after the nineteen ninety season. I don't know if that's a fancy or politically uh, correct way for saying you got sacked. Oh no, I got sacked, mate. Yeah, no, I was cut. I was, um, yeah, no, he, uh, yeah, no, he got, uh, he got rid of me. He came back for the world champs that year, and um, uh, there was a bit of pressure on him to have to start me because I had that sensational game. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and I think he he started me one game, and I played the first five minutes, and then he subbed me out, and then I just just back to the bench, didn't play anymore. So that was, uh, and then he sacked me at the end of that um, end of that year. So yeah, I, I didn't. Didn't, didn't have a team. Geez, it ended well, though. If I can, not the end, but it turned out well because you found your way to the South uh, Melbourne Saints for what would turn out to be just the one season in 91. Now, this was a magical season for you on a personal level. The, the team was struggling somewhat, but you were named the NBL's most improved player. You're averaging, I think, 21 points a game, four rebounds, two assists per game. Were, were you fueled by some sort of a desire to prove people wrong? Was there a chip on the shoulder at all, Parky, or was it just the planets aligned for you in that season? No, I had a chip on my shoulder. I um, I had a chip on my shoulder, sort of my whole career, just just getting there because I wasn't uh, one of these guys in juniors that was recognised. I wasn't identified as a talent, so I was never in any. I wasn't any, even in any squads, let alone teams, yeah. uh, to represent my state. And I wasn't asked to go to the Institute of Sport, so I had a lot of these people that were playing. You know, I I really had a chip on my shoulder. Um, playing against these guys because mm. I, I was a bit of a late developer as well so I sort of grew and then when I got a bit bigger and stronger and uh, yeah I used to play very aggressively and uh, yeah I definitely played with a chip on my shoulder and then when I did have that stint at Geelong and I, I felt like I could be an NBL I really believed I was an NBL player even though Barry Barnes didn't believe that uh, I still did so when I got that chance with the Saints, uh, yeah, I was I was on a mission, and um, yeah, and I, I saved my best game 
for the coach that sacked me nine months earlier. Did well. you ever? Oh, did you ever? <laughs> so you, you play the Supercats, I think, in the last game of the season. So this was around nine months after, as you say, they sacked you. So you play with a chip on your shoulder at the best of times. Now you're coming up against the side that sacked you. You've got 30 at half time. Now, there's some dispute over the final tally that sits officially at 49, but I know you're about to tell me it's 50. There was some dispute over legitimacy of a late three, I reckon, to get the half century, wasn't there? There was. We only had two referees in those days, Eddie Crouch and uh, I forget the, the other ref. And, um, yeah, my last shot I had, I was on 47 points. So the last shot I had, I, now, hang on. I upfaked. And, you, you, uh, wanted yeah. the, you wanted the 50, though, badly. Oh, you? yes, I was aware. Yeah, the commentator was saying he's got 47 points. So, of course, yeah, everyone, including I think Vince Hinchin was actually guarding me and he wasn't going to let me have it. So I, I, I had to do a shot fake and, uh, and I sort of leaned in and I sort of leant off one foot. But I was, I was this far behind. I was about a foot behind the, the three-point line when I released it and it went in. And Eddie Crouch called it as a two. The other ref called it as a three. And then they went to the score bench and they said, what did you guys think? And they said, we don't know. And because Eddie Crouch was the lead referee, the senior referee, they went with his call that it was a two. So I ended up with only seven threes that game instead of eight. And that, that eighth one was, um, uh, yeah, they're pretty important. So, so I still say, I, I say I had 50. Yeah. I've got the evidence. It's, I've got the old DVD uh, from the game. So, um yeah, I've uh, I've been meaning to sort of file that into the NBL just to get them to change the record books right. because uh, not many uh, Australian-born players have, have scored fifty. I think there's only a handful. Um, so it's uh, but no, but the, for me it was um, yeah, it was a bit of um, I, I definitely belonged in the NBL, but to do that against the team that had sacked me, um, but I, I didn't really play the political game that well though. I I was letting Barnsley know all about it oh, um, during the game. And I was, yeah. And I was pointing to him and pointing to guys on his bench saying, you kept him, you kept him. And <laughs> really? So I was really, you know, look, I was 20, like I said, I was on a mission. I was playing with a chip on my shoulder. So I was just, you know, and I, I'd just been in the all-star team as well. And, and, and Barry, <laughs> Barry was actually the coach of the East all-star team, oh, which no. I'd, I'd made no, just not, not the east, the south. Sorry, it was north and south back in those days. So I was in the south team, and that was about a month or so earlier. So that was a bit hard for Barry to to sort of accept that uh, here I was representing the Saints in the All Star game, and he'd sacked me the year before. So that was a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> then we had this game, you know, a month or so later, where I was really hopping into him, letting him know, you know, that he perhaps had erred on getting rid of me. Um, but I didn't play the political game, Sam. See, there, there was trials coming up for the 92 Barcelona Olympics. Oh, the boomers, and, and he's the assistant coach. And, yeah, so – and I was in the squad. Like, he, he kind of had to – like, I had one of those years where he just had to put me in the squad. So I went up to the Institute of Sport and uh, was training with Barry, <laughs> Barry's the head coach. And here I was after just giving him an almighty spray on an NBL court. Uh, so, yeah, that was a little bit uncomfortable. Fair to say – I probably didn't have much of a chance of making that team. Um, there was a guy called Andrew Gaze. Yeah, the, gu spot. the guard spots are pretty strong. Who else was there? We had, uh, we had Leroy. Leroy He'd been naturalised, which was piss poor timing from Leroy. It was very poor timing, mate, for me in particular, because those two, you know, the tall sort of two or three man. Um, so I had to beat either Andrew Gaze or Leroy Loggins to make that team. So look, Sam, I was never going to make that team, mate. But... Um, even if I did have a shot, I don't, I don't know how Barnsley would have gone <laughs> putting in a guy into his Olympic team, you know, less than 12 months after he actually sacked him from his local, you know, NBL team. So, yeah. uh, but it was, that was a great experience. I spent like a, nearly two weeks up there and that was in preparation for the 92 games, as I said, which was playing against the dream team, yeah, you know, that was the, dream uh, team. the original dream team. So that was a great experience um, for all those fellas that, uh, that went along uh, to that. Uh, but there, there was an instance during that training, my heart skipped a beat. Andrew Gaze went up for a late, and these trainings were really competitive. We had Dean Utoff and Luke Longley yeah. and Brad Key and Vlahoff and all these big bodies, and, and Gaze smashed to the floor. And like he, he went down so hard. And I'm thinking, my heart, I just thought, shit, if he breaks his leg, I'm in. Right? And <laughs> it's one of those things where you want him to be okay because he's, you know, he's Andrew Gaze. But not too okay. Drilly. But then you think, well, look, 
you know, and then in hindsight, <laughs> the guy went to five Olympics. I mean, he could have <laughs> greedy. He could have sacrificed one for me, but uh, but yeah, he 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 was okay. And and I actually thought afterwards, I thought, you know what? They'd probably still take Andrew Gaze on one leg rather than me. <laughs> I think he's probably better. He's probably better than me on one leg. But uh, but that was one time. That's the one time where I I thought. I thought, geez, I might, I might have a chance here, but it was only because the great man, uh, uh, the great man went down pretty hard, and uh, yeah, but uh, he was pretty durable, old Drewy. He um, or Gazy now, he's he's known as Gazy. We used to call him Drewy back in the day. We're talking to Andrew Parkinson on this is your journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. All right, the Southeast Melbourne Magic, Brian Gorgian, and the championships. They're up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, the family-owned business, of course, since 1934. And former NBL shooting guard Andrew Parkinson has been our guest today. So, Andrew, that, that season at the Saints, and obviously the impression you would have made at the Boomers scrimmages as well, and we didn't talk about it, but I think you went as far as the final cut in that squad when they went from 15 to 12 you're in that cut so how much do you think that season that that tryout and all those sessions helped when it came obviously to the highly publicized merger between the saints and the specters to form the southeast melbourne magic under brian gorgian oh it saved me it was perfect timing um yeah to get in there because when the merge happened with the specters and the saints uh they really only took uh, two players. Well, I took myself and Andre Lamanis, and of course, yeah. as we know, Andre's <laughs> Andre kicked on, and um, <laughs> you know, under the tutelage of Brian Gorgian, and uh, had a wonderful, or still having a wonderful uh, coaching career. Uh, so it was really only uh, Dre and myself, you know, from the Saints side of things. Uh, but it was basically all Spectres coaches and um, you know, all Spectres players, and and they'd recruited a you know a couple of extras as well. So it mm. was um, yeah, luckily for me. Um, yeah, luckily for me, I had that really good year, and, and Brian Gorgian, who'd previously looked at me before, and and had sort of said, "Oh, no, thanks," you know, which is fair enough. I wasn't ready, uh, but yeah, he he was ready. And and the f- the funny story, if I can digress a little bit, Sam, uh, I love telling the story. Or Brian loves telling the story, but he and Bruce Palmer came to that game we spoke about earlier, where I had the forty nine, fifty, whatever you want to <laughs> call, call it, what it is. Call it what it is, 50. And, um, and he sat in the bar there at the glass house. It was at the glass house. And he sat in the bar with Bruce Palmer. And, and, they, and, he, and, and Brian knew the merge was happening. And he said to his good mate, Bruce Palmer, hey, let's go and watch this kid, Parky. Uh, he's playing for the Saints. And let's do a shot for every field goal he makes. <laughs> so that game, I was 21 from 35 from the field. So Brian tells the story a lot better than me because he's a far better storyteller than anyone I've ever known. But uh, he tells the story. But he said he had to get carried out of that place. <laughs> so, so I made a I made an impression on him. Um, he already had me pegged, you know, for the merge. He knew it was coming, and uh, yeah. So that game was sort of timely as well for that reason um and Die. he and bruce palmer love love telling that story that that they were absolutely wasted after that go <laughs> digress anytime you want so brian brings you to the tent then parky you win that championship in 92 in year one under a new banner i mean you lost game one and then you won the next two to clinch it 2-1 over the tigers i mean how special this is this the highlight of the career i mean i know you won a one later on but to always win the first one has to be special Oh, it was. Yeah, no, that first championship was special. And uh, particularly with, with my personal journey, um, you know, it was less than two years that we when we won that championship. And, and I hit some big free throws uh, down the stretch in that game three. Um, and I, th- I think I may have even scored the last point in that grand final. So that was a big change from the year before. I, I'd, I'd scored the last point in the, you know, in the regular season game against my old team, but there were no playoffs and I'd never played in the playoffs in NBL in those two years with Geelong. Um, so, yeah, to not only get my first uh, crack at NBL playoffs, but to go all the way to Game 3 against the Tigers in Melbourne, capacity crowd at Rod Laver Arena, yeah. um, against Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland, Brad Key, Giddy, um, 
you know that 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 was a, that was the pinnacle. So I really felt, um, you know, I felt like I'd belonged in the NBL as a player. But I think that year I sort of became a, a winner as far as I accepted a lesser role. I wasn't starting uh, for the Magic. I was six man, came off the bench. I, uh, it took me a while to accept that role, but uh, not too long, actually, maybe a few, one, few months. Uh, but once Brian got me accepting that role, yep. um, I just ran with it. And um, I never left. I never left Brian, never left the Magic. Uh, I played the rest of my career. With great that team. Yeah, great scenes. And I mean, the NBL, thankfully, is rocking now, but it was absolutely rocking. It was a golden era for the league uh, in this country at that point in time. So you got a taste of it, but then you lost three consecutive semi final series in the next three years. So I imagine that must have been difficult, A. And then, B, what got you over the hump and back into the grand final series of 96? Because you're knocking on that door, you're knocking on that door, it's not opening. And then eventually it opens in 96. And we'll get to that series in a moment. But what made that happen? Well, I, th- I think Brian was really good at developing young talent. And I think at one stage, the Perth Wildcats with James Crawford, Fisher, Todd Lichty, Tony Pinder, they, they, had, yeah. they had five American-born players. I think they might have even started with five American-born players, whereas the, the Magic, and, and I think Perth won a title in that time, 94, 95, I think they won, somewhere in there. But, uh, but yeah, so they... Um, uh, yeah, we were going with one American. I think in '94, '95, we you know we had Adonis Jordan, and the rest were were all Aussies. And uh, and that's when Brian started to develop the Jason Smiths, Chris Anstey's, Frank Dremicks, uh, Tony Ronaldson. I guess was established by then, but he was sort of still fairly young. Uh, so we sort of had that young developing team. So it sort of took us a few years for all those guys to develop. And I think in that '96 championship, you know, we had uh, you know John Dodge starting at centre, Chris Anstey backing him up. You know, we had um, Mike Kelly starting and then we had, you know, me backing him up. We had uh, Sam McKinnon starting, Darren Lucas backing him up. I mean, yeah, our team, by the time that 96 season rolled along, we um, mm. we had that great mix of, of sort of some fairly wily sort of veterans as well as just some real up-and-coming talent. So, yeah, it took us a few years, uh, but I thought it was a credit. You know, we never, we, we were always either one game away from the grand final or we made the grand final. Uh, so, yeah, it was a fairly successful team, but um, yeah, to, there was a few years, uh, yeah, in between championships. So you get the Tigers again, two one in '96. Again, I think they got you in the opener, game one, and then again you brought them to heel in the next uh, two games. And the rivalry with the Tigers, I mean, you, you, was there was a feeling at the time, I reckon, that you each had to go through each other really in those times to win the championship. They knew it of you, and you knew it of them. Oh yeah, no, you had to go through Rod Laver Arena to to. Yeah, to to win anything uh, back in those days. Uh, it was the Giants that um, won in 94. Uh, the Tigers won in 93. So, you know, they took their loss in the 92 series uh, yeah. and then they followed it up with... Uh, that was Andrew Gaze and Lindsay's first championship in the 93. Um, yeah, so it was... Uh, no, it was, a, it was a great, a really great era uh, to play. Like I said, we were playing in front of capacity crowds that... Um, yeah, at, at Rod Laver and, and those series against the the Tigers. I mean, you mentioned the rivalry. I mean, mm. it was it was real. Uh, yeah, it was real for sure. It, uh, yeah, there was general uh, genuine hatred. Uh, I, I still believe there was an element of respect in there, but uh, and we used to play up a little bit, um, you know, as you do uh, with the media. We'd play up a few things, uh, and we, I had my little thing with Ray Gordon. We had that uh, yeah. that little thing going on with us, which was sort of part of that rivalry as well. So it's um, no, it was a really yeah, it was a really great time for uh, basketball in the nineties. It was, and out the other side of ninety six, uh, unfortunately lost the two grand final series in, in what would be the last two years of the club's existence before, of course, merging with the Giants to form the Victoria Titans. I I get, I wanted to ask you. I mean, you take the two championships any day, but. Should they have won more? Should the Magic have got more out of that golden period? I feel I feel we should have. Yep, I, I feel we should. Have. I think that '97 championship's the one that really. Yeah. Uh, the Tigers got us. They the, the Tigers weren't even in the finals race. We we led this. We were just we ran the table just about that whole season. Um, but the Tigers went on this amazing run. I think they they picked up Marcus Timmons. Uh, he was a missing piece. They weren't even in finals contention, and I think uh, they won their last fourteen games or something ridiculous so that that was the one that really uh really got to me and, and even the one after that against the Adelaide 36ers with Phil Smyth's team that had you know Brett Maher and Catalini in his prime had Darnell Mee and Kevin Brooks 
uh, that that team was 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 pretty good. But uh, I still felt like we had the depth uh, that we you know we probably could have got them mm-hmm. um, as well. So yeah, you yeah those grand finals. Uh, I guess the only grand final we'd, we'd been in two grand finals and we'd got two rings out of it. And then I guess to have those last two grand finals and the magic existence was. Um, yeah, that that was. I felt I felt like we sort of we. I felt like we should have picked up another one. Yeah, um, but great memories nonetheless. I got to say, Puggy, you look well. I mean, what, what's your what's your quality of life like at the moment? Just in your day to day living with everything you're, you're dealing with. Well, mornings I'm a lot better, mate. You've got me at a good time, right? Um, yeah, I've got a. Uh, yeah, I normally take uh, some pretty serious meds around this time, so it's. Uh, yeah, no, I'm struggling a bit. I, I, as I said earlier, I'm into this immunotherapy, and it's it's sort of a, it's a bit of an accumulative build-up. So, lots of things um, have changed. Yeah, lots of things have changed. But uh, but no, thanks for uh, I yeah, thanks for saying I look good. I I uh, I have um, yeah, I I am onto a lot of naturopath. Uh, yeah, I'm onto a naturopath, and it takes lots of uh, lots of supplements, and I, I do sort of watch my diet, and I sort of yeah. regularly exercise, and 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 sort of, uh, and I think that's important. Uh, it's important for my kids to see their dad still having a crack. Um, you know, I still uh, still playing basketball. Uh, actually, I had my first game in a while. I had some surgery back in May, and I hadn't played for a while, so I had my first game. Last night, which still was playing. which was great. That's an awesome experience. Yeah, it was. Yeah, down in A grade on a Monday night, and um, yeah, I chipped in with fourteen points, and uh, hadn't played for a while, so I hadn't played since my recent surgery. So, yeah, so I think it's it's just good to um, yeah do as much as you can. But uh, but yeah, look, I look, I do struggle at times, Sam. Like I do have bad days and good days, um, but I think it's important to. Um, yeah, it's important to push through sometimes. And I mean, every time I push through and, and do something out of my comfort zone, whether it's playing a game of basketball, going on a bike ride with my mates, you know, or, or, or going on a big 10K, 15K walk or whatever it may be, I, afterwards I always feel better mentally. Uh, physically, yeah, I might be a bit run down and tired, but, uh, you know, I feel run down and tired anyway. So <laughs> I might as well get some use yeah. out of it. No, that's great. And I was a bit struck by what you said earlier about, you know, I guess, reconnecting with people and even, you know, telling your mates to love them more often and vice versa, which is great. And I know you referenced this guy, and a lot of listeners will know him, the late ESPN anchor, Stuart Scott, who, and I know, you, as I say, you live by this. He once said, if you die, it doesn't matter or it doesn't mean that you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live while you live and the manner in which you live with cancer, which is, oh, that is such a powerful statement. Oh yeah, I I got hold of that early in my battle with cancer, and, and um, yeah, I get emotional when I think about it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, he yeah, that's you know a lot of people, and, and a lot of people, you know, when you have can- you diagnosed with cancer, a lot of people, ah, oh, Parky, you'll beat it, you know, you'll beat it, sort of thing, and uh, and they, they only mean the best, and that's that's a great thing for people to tell you. But my cancer's sort of one that's probably. Uh, it's it's a bit unbeatable uh, in saying that. Not that I'm conceding anything. I'm, I, I plan on living for you know. I'm, I plan on hacking through life as long as long as I can. Yeah. But I think uh, that's an important thing. It's it, yeah. You don't lose just because you you know many people have battled you know this terrible disease and just because they've passed away doesn't doesn't mean they've lost the fight. Um, it, you know it's the it's the way they fought while they were alive. And I think so many people. Can that resonates with so many people that have had, you know, family or friends that have that have battled cancer, and I think that yeah, Stuart Scott, and of course being, he's a similar age to me as well, and of course watching you know Sports Center and listening to his booyahs and all his yeah. commentary, I think uh, that was one thing that um, uh, yeah to hear that knowing knowing that he's now passed away, but you know he he left that legacy for his family and his children, and uh, yeah, that, that's just something that I've been very weary of is is holding my head up high um yeah and the way the way that you 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 handle you know the, the battle and you know one day i'm going to die everyone's going to die um uh, you know what yeah one day i'm going to die and you know i'm hoping it's going to be as as late as late as possible but um but you know i'm going to live my life in the way that stuart scott lived his and and that's um yeah to the fullest and and embracing everyone telling people you love them and and just yeah just uh being embraced um yeah by as many people as you can and and as i said earlier you know a lot of people have told me things about me uh that they wouldn't tell you if if they didn't know you had a terminal illness and uh you know you might 
you know, you might be eulogised at your funeral, but, you know, you, you're yeah. not actually hearing that. So, you know, I, I, I try and take the positives out of anything. And, and, and one thing I will say, I really do feel more connected with, you know, all my ex-teammates and all, all my ex-adversaries too. I mean, the Melbourne Tigers, Andrew Gaze and the Melbourne Tigers in particular, and, and you know, was it Giddy, Josh Giddy, you know, uh, the amount of support they've given me, not not just financially, but um, morally, um, and just with events and just just with kind words and things like that, has, has been amazing. And uh, I, I mean, just as an example, one that sticks in my mind is Brian Gorgian, who, you know, we last won a championship what, over a quarter of a century ago. You know, we're talking about 1996, and uh, in Brian's biggest coaching moment of his career, well, well I was involved in his, his first biggest moment, which was that 92 championship. But if we fast forward about um, 30 years, uh, 29, 30 years, his biggest moment was winning a gold, uh, winning a bronze medal uh, for the Australian Boomers. And of course, I was following that and I, I was recovering from major surgery and uh, I was in a bit of a bad way. And, and Brian uh, took the time out uh, on, the, on that particular day just to send me a text uh, just to let him know that, you know, the, the boys are going to be fighting like I am. Um, you know, in that game against uh, Lucas uh, Slovenia, Slovenia, wasn't it? Yeah, yep. against Slovenia. So, uh, for me to get a text from from Brian Gorge and my coach, we've still can be contact. But for him to be thinking of me in the greatest moment of his sporting, you know, his coaching career, uh, that really gave me a lift. And there's been many examples of uh, of ex teammates, um, you know, ex ex players I used to play against, adversaries, as I'd, I'd call them. Uh, that you know, reach out and give me kind words, and you know, uh, and, and that's it's it's just been uh, an amazing help. It's it's a lot easier to uh, live your life, you know, full on and, and tackle these things when you when you've got um, the support that I have. Andrew, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, obviously, I speak for everyone and anyone listening uh, in today when I wish you well for whatever comes next. I mean, there's so many fond memories of a great, a bloody good career on the court. But no doubt, the way you carry yourself in what must be extraordinarily difficult times with dignity, courage is just so admirable, mate. So we tip our lids to your parky and we really appreciate you uh, sharing your journey with us today. Well, I appreciate your kind words, Sam, and uh, keep up the good work, mate. And I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, talking about myself is one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> Andrew <So>. Parkinson. <laughs> uh, I love the sense of humour, mate. Thanks for joining us also out there. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.